I'm Al, who wholeheartedly agrees with the choice of John Carpenter's The Thing as the perfect family Christmas movie. And I'm Steve, who never lets anything dampen my Christmas spirit, even murder, madness, and malevolent children. We are Hammerama, the podcast about Hammer Horror, which knows if you've been bad or good when it visits you from either end of Santa's global gift route. And our special opening track was Jingle Hell by another one of our patron saints, Sir Christopher Lee. In this season of merrymaking and joy, we are discussing one of the bleakest and most bone-chilling films ever to be produced by Hammer, or anyone actually. (laughs) So, check all gas appliances and keep your festive medication of choice close to hand, as we invite you to join us for some Christmas cheer at The Lodge. So... How would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas with Grace? She really wants to get to know you guys. That's our mom's hat. Oh, I'm sorry. You okay? I don't want to leave you here with the kids if you're not feeling up to it. Uh, I'm feeling fine. It was my idea and it took a couple days. I can do a couple days. Okay, guys, I'm off. Have fun. What is that? It's crazy. Everyone committed suicide so far. Repent and you will find salvation. Guys! Things are very uncomfortable between us. And we're stuck in a house together. What is this? Makes no sense. What? I heard something. Repent. Repent your sins. Hello? Did you do that? We didn't do anything. We're leaving. What are you talking about? Look outside. We're stuck here. Richard Hall drives his estranged but still hopeful wife Laura, former Batgirl Alicia Silverstone, to take her own life by announcing that he's going to marry a younger woman, Grace, played by Riley Keogh. Six months later, despite the fact that his children, Aiden and Maya, are still devastated by the loss of their mother and resentful of Grace. He insists that they all spend Christmas in the mountains together. He tops it off by then leaving them alone in a remote and isolated lodge for the first few days because of his work commitments. 
but not before he and Grace keep his kids awake with noisy use of the bed he had shared with their mother. I started to think of Bow Chicka Wow Wow. <laughs> well, I can drop that in. Just saying. <laughs> that was in my mind. Grace has a tragic past of her own, being the only survivor of a religious cult led by her father, who all took their own lives when she was very young. A combination of medication and her little dog Grady has enabled her to move on with her life. However, the children's grief and bitterness leads them to exploit Grace's upbringing and ruthlessly gaslight her. Trapped by a blizzard and cut off without food, power, or Grace's meds, they convince her that the three of them have actually asphyxiated due to a faulty gas heater, and they're now literally in purgatory. Aiden and Maya might succeed in pushing Grace over the edge, but they haven't planned for what might happen next. That sound like the movie you saw? That sounds slightly more cheerful than the movie that I saw, but it's really put us in the Christmas spirit, Steve. Merry Christmas, listeners, incidentally. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Al. Merry Christmas, listeners. Merry Christmas. I mean, I'm sure this is the movie you want to watch Christmas Eve, right? That puts you in the spirits for Christmas Day. This movie promotes the importance of love and togetherness as a family, and it's bound to... Uh, <laughs> It's bound to make you look forward to Boxing Day. But anyway, I'm going to give my first impressions of it, Steve. Now, as I might have mentioned, this was actually my second viewing of this film. And it was one that I had never intended to go back to. And and I somehow doubt that many people would. But I've made generalizations like that before, so I'll, I will revisit that in a moment. I just sort of had vague recollections of relentless physical and emotional isolation, misery and cold, with glacial pacing and temperature, although, you know, technically well executed and with some really haunting imagery. So to be perfectly honest, I I really didn't want to have to go through it all again. But wow. I've just discovered yet again how valuable it can be to have to go back and revisit a film, which I had pretty much written off after my first experience of it. Yes, the lodge is bleak, but Riley Keough as Grace is a revelation. Fragile, threatening, warm, and remote by turns, and completely convincing in every scene. And all through the ordeal, I was going mad myself trying to work out why the actress looked so familiar. Are you aware of this, Steve? Her family? Yes. And it was afterwards that I finally discovered that she's the daughter of Lisa Marie and the granddaughter of Priscilla and Elvis Presley. And I think it's pretty obvious once you realise this. So although Grace descends to some dark, depressing, and ultimately horrifying places, Riley Keough's performance is so captivating that it actually makes you want to follow her there, and I really hope this actress goes on to great things. So what did you think of it, Steve? I definitely agree with you with my fir- the first impression with Riley Keough. She was amazing mm. in carrying the multiple of acting of body language, facial expressions, um, um, the vocal power to go through the transformation that she does through the movie to where you can really buy it. But 
the children were especially good because it's really the three of them. It's a small cast. Richard Armitage is the father, mm-hmm. and um, and he, he does a good job also, but he's in it for the beginning, good part in the beginning, and then the end part. But the, the whole movie is pretty much once it picks up at the lodge, it stays there for the rest of the time, and it's just the three of them. And, and of course, Wally the dog playing Grady. Got to give him credit, <laughs> little guy. <laughs> um, but pretty much, I have to give credit to Jaden Martell. I mean, it's just really, really good in the role of being a manipulative teenage antagonist. I don't really know if there's any good people in here, except Richard, in a sense, because he doesn't really do anything bad, like evil, evil, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's just extremely selfish. Yes, he, he definitely was looking at his own interests. But um, the one thing I will say for listeners, when you watch this movie, if you haven't seen it, it really will catch you with one scene early on in the movie. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's like, you're like, you're like, whoo! <laughs> because that just happened. It was just like, whoa! And that, that, that gets you sitting up in your seat and pops you up right away. I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. it because it's really a grabber at the beginning but i think al you were probably the same way when you saw it the initial time maybe even the second time i can't believe that i'd forgotten about that scene Stephen. it actually made me jump again and it gives you an idea of just what you're in for for the rest of the movie oh exactly and it's and i, I gotta give credit to the filmmakers they did they mm-hmm. did a wonderful job of I, I love the imagery going from the dollhouse of the lodge to the lodge i mean they set that back and forward all the time Sometimes a little too much on the head for me, but it was. But I knew what they were trying to do and go for. Not a film you want to watch repeatedly, but it's a film I think that deserves to be watched. That's really well put. Would you say that you enjoyed it, Steve? Enjoy is an interesting word to use. I thought it was very well acted, very well done, and I enjoyed it as a psychological thriller with some horrific moments. And... We're trying not to say, I'm trying not to say certain things because I don't think a lot of people have seen this film and I don't want to spoil mm. uh, certain things that go on. So it's going to be interesting discussions. Yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And having watched it the second time, I was surprised at how many tiny details I'd actually missed the first time. It doesn't spell everything out for you, but it's amazing just how many little clues are actually there. It was released around film festivals in 2019, I think. Got general release in 2020, but of course, we all know what happened in 2020, and its release was pretty much buried by everything else that was going on. So... You know, this this is going to be difficult because, of course, this film is jam-packed full of favorite scenes. <laughs> Hard to call them favorite scenes, actually. Maybe the least traumatic or, or maybe the most traumatic. Anyway, my, uh, my most favorite scene is Grace's vision when she wanders out into the snow and finds that weird cruciform building with what looks to be her deceased father sort of lurking inside, but silently refusing to let her in. It's a very powerful and instantly lasting image. You've got Grace in the foreground. She's huddled, shrouded in her blanket, and she's dwarfed by this surreal cross looming above her, 
jutting out of the frozen landscape. Oh, I agree. And I thought it was well casted because they had Riley's real father, Danny Keogh, playing mm -hmm. her father in the movie. So yes. you could see the resemblances. And a lot of the movie makes you wonder, like, what is real and what is imaginary of being stuck in the cabin during the blizzard with the two children? Is there supernatural forces or is it just malevolence mm. from other people? Oh, it's it's wonderful. Um, one of my favorite scenes was early in the movie, and that is the Thanksgiving dinner setup, where it's Richard mm. Armitage playing the father and the two children. And you can see the table set up for four, and this is after his estranged wife has passed away, six months later, mm. to be exact. Yes. And yes. so... They have yet to meet his girlfriend, Grace. And he wants her to come over, and he was telling them that she's on her way over, she'll be here soon. And Aiden ha is adamant that he does not want her there and that they blame her for what happened to the mom. And so they hold that resentment there. They're eating Thanksgiving dinner out on the porch, and they have, like, a gas heater set up out there and you can see him and his son trying to get it to work before this all goes on they he ends up they don't want grace there so he meets grace at outside the door hmm. and is talking to her and the girl maya slams the door shut because it's open a jar like pushes it all the way you know and because mm -hmm. she's angry and then they go back to eating this dinner and they're all out on the porch and they got blankets on them and emphasizing how cold they are, but they're not only cold from the outside of my thing, but it was just showing how emotionally they are so cold to each other and how mm, frigid. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought mm. that was well done. It was well played and it was well set up. Mm. Of course, you and I have a tendency to get drawn to the um, quieter scenes in movies. What did you think of it? The film is just has a, an overall feeling of cold in every sense. Emotionally cold, physically cold. I do actually have a second scene and it ties in with one of the things that you enjoyed the most. And it is um, Mia's heartbroken apology to Grace after Grace discovers Grady in the snow. It's a really, really horrifying scene, but the child actress's sobs are genuinely heartbreaking when she's trying to apologize that she hasn't meant for something to happen, which has happened. As Sight, this tragedy finally actually bonds her to Grace. This event is the one thing that finally gives them something in common. But unfortunately, by this stage, things have gone way too far. And the symbol of Grace's new life, away from her traumatic past, away from the cult, is now gone forever. And this is the point where she irreparably changes. Um, it's the turning point. And I think anyone a bit like myself, who was growing a little bit frustrated with the constant victimization of Grace, might draw some satisfaction now as the power balance abruptly shifts between the main characters. I'm not saying that I endorse or support 
anything that anyone does to anyone in this film. But I just found it personally quite satisfying that uh, suddenly the shoe was on the other foot. Oh yeah, I, I can see that. And I want to tie in with a, a scene that tag, tags in with yours and with mine. Mm-hmm. And it also shows where I think Maya and Grace were starting to bond when she asked her, what is something she wants for Christmas? And she says a dog. And they were talking about Grady and how, how much that meant to her. And I thought that was really touching. Like they really were starting to bond there. And then Maya, do you want to see what we got, what we made for father? And <laughs> she puts this disc in to show what the, what the past looked like, which particularly was Thanksgiving, which contrasts the Thanksgiving dinner that we saw earlier with what Thanksgiving dinners look like when their mom was yeah. alive, where they were all ha- happy and festive and it was fun and, and they weren't cold, it was warm and it was inviting. It also shows you that um, that, that girl was a mean little thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing that stretched my credibility slightly and that is that the kids could be so ingenious with the way that they exploited Grace, but I don't know, maybe kids are that clever, maybe they are that devious. You'd have a better idea than I have, Steve. They can be, and I haven't experienced this part myself, but I know friends that have that have, I think most children, just like most people, don't do those things, but there's always some people who always see these little things to exploit, and they'll uh-huh. go for it. Again, they blamed Grace for what, even though she had nothing to do with it at all, with what happened to her yeah. mom, and that happens yeah. with a lot of couples where if they get remarried and some of them will blame the step-parent or the girlfriend, mm-hmm. boyfriend, whatever, and they blame them for mm-hmm. the relationship breaking up even if they were never there when the relationship crumbled. There's there's one thing though I want to ask you a question on to see if you have any idea. Um, I'm not sure okay. how it goes. I'm going to have to ponder it more. Grace's mm-hmm. nosebleeds. What do you think? She had nosebleeds several times mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think that was representing? Now this is something that I that I was thinking about as well. I am a chronic nosebleed sufferer myself for no particular reason. Visually, it was about the only color in the entire film that wasn't blue. It just gave that striking contrast and drew immediate attention to Grace. I guess it's a sight of blood kind of thing. It causes alarm. It causes concern for that person. So in Grace's case, I think it was a a visual representation of the fact that inside she wasn't completely healthy. What did you think? I'm still trying to process it. I know, I think the first time we saw her have a nosebleed was when they were in the lodge and the four of them were eating a meal that the father prepared. Mm. It was one of the few times the father was before the father left to go on his to take care of work and she was looking at the the painting the picture of mary which was i think representing also the mother you know um, it did it did yes yes. and and that's when she started to get the nosebleed so i think Hmm. things that were triggering her like with religious imagery or imagery of uh, the mom that could be what's tying all together because like it goes if you something was wrong with her internally and I was just showing an external sign of the internal struggle. I'm really pleased you've mentioned the religious imagery because I just had a thought. Stigmata 
the mysterious bleeding that some people experience throughout the world during religious festivals or for whatever reason. All those stigmata is traditionally from the sites of the wounds that, that Christ received on the cross. I just wonder if this might be a similar thing as well. Just a thought. These are movies I like where you can have a discussion. Believe it or not, I've actually, I've got a connections section, which I'm going to do now. So what can this relentlessly downbeat film the most recent offering from Hammer to date, possibly have in common with anything else in the Hammerverse. So I decided to stretch my comparison past all logic and sanity to link Hammer's latest horror film with the one regarded as their very first in colour. Covered by you and I in Hammerama episode 6, I think. The Curse of Frankenstein. Yes, really. So before you wonder who might have stolen my medication, consider this. <laughs> After losing a parent, Aiden and Mia, showing ingenuity far beyond that usually found in young people, create their own monster. As with Victor Frankenstein, the death of a little dog proves to be a turning point in this process, although accidental and irreversible in the children's case. And also like the Baron, they quickly lose control of the dangerous being that they brought to life. The new Grace even moves like an automaton. Her features are now scarred with frostbite, her mind permanently damaged, and her body disfigured with hot coals after her horrifying attempts at penitence. She hasn't asked to be created eventually murdering and proving impossible to escape. Both films end with a glimpse of the instrument, which is intended to end the now-captive creator's lives. I'm not going to say what it is in the lodge, in the final shot, but in Curse of Frankenstein, of course, it's the silhouette of the guillotine. Curse of Frankenstein made Peter Cushing one of the most recognisable faces in cinema, and I really hope that Hammer helps Riley Keough find some deserved acclaim as well. The Lodge is regarded as a thriller without a supernatural element, although I'm going to dispute this later on. At its heart, it is a warning about the dark side of the human soul and how any obsession can have a corrosive effect on sanity and ultimately endanger human life. And I think those factors actually underpin most traditional Hammer horror films. That's pretty cool. Now, it's, it's interesting, Steve. We probably have more to say about this film than many of the films we've talked about. But because of our format, which is obviously tailored for your usual sort of Hammer film, this is probably going to be one of our shortest discussions because... I'm kind of ready for my concluding thoughts, unless you have some unexpected merchandise, <laughs> or you've met one of the stars, or you've something else that you want to say. I haven't been fortunate enough to meet any of the stars, though a lot of them have done different things. I'd love to talk to them about, including mm, this movie, yeah. all of them. As you said earlier, when it went through the, cert the festival circuit, it was yeah, very well yeah. received. So it was a, it was a critical you know, critical success, financial success mm. came out the wrong time. That's just, yeah. you know, the sad thing. And that I think part of the reason we're keeping it somewhat brief, unlike the other Hammer movies, which a lot of people have seen, and we can go a little farther without, this one has so many things throughout the movie 
including early on, like I st- we said, the scene where we both jump mm-hmm. up, that we just don't want to spoil because it's really worth seeing. And I, I don't want to take that thunder away. when It's not often you watch a movie where you're just like, what? <laughs> you have a what moment, and it's early on, and I, I don't want to spoil that at all. It's hard to discuss it in any detail without talking about the latter part of the film, but I think you're probably in agreement that it's better to let the listeners or anyone who hasn't seen this film discover these things for themselves. Just bear in mind, everyone, it's not a cheerful journey. Very, very emotionally powerful and technically brilliant, actually. Oh, it's one of the best, one of the better films I've seen this year. So it's... It, it's up there. It's up all the way around. But that, that's getting into our concluding thoughts. <laughs> in this case, I was a little bit concerned. I'd sort of, I'd brought this film to your attention and I was a little bit apprehensive that it might, <laughs> that it might have been so downbeat and depressing that you might have held it against me. But it, it actually sounds as if you've, you've really appreciated, appreciated this film a lot. And that makes me very happy. It's the one thing about this film that makes me happy. It's, it's not a film that you're going to go out being all happy smiles and giggles and high-fiving mm-hmm. anybody. So it, it is an ending that's a, that is downbeat. I think we can let people know. You know, it's, We jokingly say watch it on Christmas Eve. It's not really a, a thing you want to watch. On, well, everybody's tastes are different. It's not a movie I would want to watch on Christmas Eve. But, it's, but everybody has exactly. a different opinion. And I think it's, it, my concluding thoughts would be it's – I ended mm. up purchasing it, you know, to watch. And I was just like, okay, I haven't seen it, but I'll purchase it. And I'm glad I did because now I, so I think it's film-wise, it's shot very well, acted very well. I don't think there's a a weakness mm-hmm. in the film. I, I'm, I am going to start a Justice for Grady fund, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Wally the dog was impressive playing Grady. I mean, what can you say? He did a great job. Yes, he certainly did. I believe as a breakout role, this is an actor that we're going to see more of, and uh, I, I will I will anxiously anticipate uh, his future appearances. I think that the Marvel Cinematic Universe desperately needs him. As mentioned earlier, although this film has a similar tone to the more contemporary dysfunctional family and cult-based films like Hereditary, The Lodge is usually categorized as a psychological thriller with any supernatural element either coming from the schemes of Aidan and Mia or the hallucinations conjured by Grace's own unbalanced mind. But as a dog owner, Steve, you might be able to cast some light on this. None of that actually explains what seems to be upsetting Grady in those couple of scenes where there's no one else around and Grady's growling and his hackles are up. And it just makes me wonder, is the lodge somehow haunted by Laura? Or does the malign presence of Pastor Aaron, Grace's father, literally follow her around wherever she goes? Now, this film may never make it onto anyone's favorite list, and its general release, as we've discussed, was severely affected by the pandemic in 2020. But as a searing drama, brilliantly performed and produced, it's worth seeing at least once. And again, as we've discussed, you will get even more out of it the second time. So, see The Lodge, but just maybe not at Christmas time. 
Right. Steve. Al, I think we have to roll the die to see what movie we're going to do next. So I'm going to roll the die. And if you were to remind everybody, what's one okay. through six before I roll? One is... Dracula. Two? Is the Frankenstein cycle. Three? The mummy. Four? Four is science fiction. Five? Prehistoric. And six, our favorite number. The experimental 1970s. And the die roll is... One. We're going to go Dracula. And what movie would be next? The next movie is Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Wonderful. Last I saw the count, he was underwater. So now he gets to come back again. Absolutely. Oh, that's brilliant. Looking forward to that. So that will be our first episode of 2023. Now, you mentioned some feedback, Steve. Yes, we got feedback from our good friend, Jeff Owens, from the Classic Horrors Club podcast. And uh, he sent us a voicemail, which... um, I tell you, I think, I think, dude, are you paying him money? Because I know I'm not, because he's saying a lot of good things. <laughs> Someone is obviously paying Jeff money. Let's listen. Good afternoon, gentlemen. This is Jeff Owens from ClassicHorrors.club. First of all, Info Gothic Volume 2. Yes, please. You know, the question we have with all our podcasts, Classic Horrors Club included, is what is there left to say about subjects that so many other people haven't already said? I've always believed that the only original content I have to add to the conversation is my own opinion. You two, however, continue to present fresh perspectives that cause us to think about Hammer films in new ways. Your last two episodes in particular solidify my thoughts about why Hammerama is such a special podcast. First of all, your Vampire Lovers episode introduced an entirely unpredictable response to the film. I never would have thought two female viewers would like the film as much as your guests did. It's not my favorite of the Karnstein trilogy, and certainly not one of the favorite Hammer films. Yet, I want to revisit it to see if I think more of it, simply because of your conversation. Second, you are honest in your opinions. I would have thought Steve in particular would have liked Vampire Lovers, most men do. It was surprising and refreshing that he liked at least among you and your guests. However, you are both kind with your thoughts, neither mean nor snarky. That causes me to consider the movies and your comments fairly. Third, your sense of humor continues to develop and is becoming more unique. From fanciful synopsis to corny puns, your jokes are as warm as a toasty fire on my cold buttocks. Humor is subjective, but I appreciate yours and the rapport you have with each other when delivering it. It rose to new heights in your Dracula Prince of Darkness episode. And finally, you consistently make me want to see the films again. For example, Dracula Prince of Darkness is my least favorite of the Dracula cycle, as you claim it is for many. But I've actually felt the opposite over the years. I thought it was beloved by most people and I felt out of place because I didn't enjoy it as much. You provided me legitimate reasons that it's time for a rewatch and I won't be surprised if I enjoy it now more than I ever have because of your insight. Thank you both for continuing to provide stellar entertainment as I walk to and from work through the dark skyways of snow-covered Minneapolis, the atmosphere in some of its sections entirely appropriate for a little hammer horror. Thanks so much, Jeff. Our 
Vampire Lovers episode with Daphne and Whitney was one of my personal highlights of this year. Not only for their delightful and knowledgeable company, but the surprising and deep insights that they brought. Steve and I offered them a list of what we saw as Hammer films with strong female central characters, and I was personally delighted that they picked this one because I knew that whichever way the conversation went, it was bound to be an interesting one. But as I said at the time, what they brought to the discussion completely exceeded my expectations, and I'm so glad that you and others have enjoyed it too. Yeah, I know some people want us to go longer. They want episodes longer and that kind of stuff. We try to keep it short and bite-sized because, well, short, we're under an hour. We're usually between a half hour to an hour. So I don't know how bite-sized we are. But about you know, a reasonable commute to work, within, you'll get it done within a day or two. And, and to get people interested in watching the movies. Because neither one of us claim to be experts. And, and there's so many people that have written great works about it and have done so many other things about Hammer that it's just to compete against them would be impossible. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. When we created Hammerama, we knew we needed a point of difference. But more than anything else, we just wanted to have fun. The Vampire Lovers episode was longer than usual because obviously we had two guests. But honestly, I'm sure you agree, Steve, what Daphne and Whitney brought to that episode was just solid gold. And, and I'm still extremely grateful that they gave us so much of their time. Oh, that episode easily could have went longer. I just I thought it was interesting that of the four of us, that I was the one who liked it the mm. least. I still enjoyed it, but as Jeff brought yeah. up, you know, it was kind of. Who would ever have thought that you would be one of the most interesting things about an episode, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I know who. Oh, Jeff Owens. That's the only one. <laughs> And um, I just wanted to address the, the other thing that Jeff mentioned, and that was my slightly reckless assertion that Dracula Prince of Darkness isn't very high on many people's Dracula list. Now, the superb Hammer Lovers Facebook group has since pulled me up on this one, pointing out that Dracula Prince of Darkness regularly features in the top five of their annual favorite Hammer Films poll. So it seems that I stand corrected on this one, and I'm very happy about that because any engagement with other connoisseurs of these films is always a good thing. And to anyone listening, please never hesitate to challenge Steve or myself if we say something that you disagree with. As Steve says, we've never claimed to be experts or even particularly bright. Uh, we're just fans of these films who love talking about them, and we would love to hear your views as well. So speaking of that, Steve, you wanted to introduce another segment. Well, we're 10 films. We've done 10 episodes, 10 different films. So just going only by the films that we have done for Hammerama, not counting any of the others, I'm going to put the 10 films in order of my preference and I think you've done the same thing and then listeners every five episodes after so episode 15 20 25 and so on we'll revisit our top 10 to see if it's changed with the films that have come out so we're not going to do it every episode but about every increment of five I think mm. would be nice to take a revisit and of course this is just Al's and my preferences if you have a different preference I would love to 
to see people post up on our Facebook page or where you see the site or, e- or email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or like Jeff did, send us a voicemail and we can play it. What your 10, how you would put these 10 movies that we've done so far and what your order of preference would be. So, Al, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'd kind of like you to go first, Steve. I suspect you're a little bit more prepared than I am. I'm just, I'm still sort of struggling with two films. So you um, go and I should be finally ready by by the time you get there. Okay. So going up in reverse order, starting with number 10, One Million Years B.C. I love the Harryhausen special effects. I love the acting by Martin Beswick and Raquel Welch, John Richardson. But its pacing is off, and it just it's 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 slow. If it was twenty minutes trimmed, more of a an upbeat pace or whatever, I think it would move up in the notch. But that's that's the only reason I put it at the bottom. Number nine, the Vampire Lovers, which I think anybody listening to that episode, you know, it's just it's just I enjoyed the film, but it's not my kind of film type of thing. The Mummy's Shroud would be number eight. Very good film. Enjoy that one. Number seven, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. You know, Martine Beswick. Oh, oh, just, oh, I love her. (laughs) Number six, the movie we just talked about, The Lodge, comes in at number six. Number five, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. You know, I really enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one for a certain father we both know. Mm. He was... He should have been father. He's always father of the year. <laughs> father Shandor. <laughs> Number four, The Curse of Frankenstein. You know, to, to enjoy that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Number three, The Mummy. It's my favorite mummy movie. You know, it's of all of them. It's just wonderful. Number two, I'm a science fiction kind of guy at heart. Quatermass in the Pit. Quatermass in the Pit comes in at number two. And number one, obviously, is the first one we did. So I don't know. I, I don't know if anything's going to really knock it off at this point. But who knows what the future holds? Dracula. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Out of a list of ten films, we have five snaps. I'll go through my list now. Number ten, The Lodge. Now I just talked about how much I enjoyed this film and I do it's an absolutely superb film but if I'm placing it on a list which contains classic hammer horror films then sorry Lodge but it's really the only place that I can put you superb as you are number nine was one million years BC for the same reasons that you've mentioned Steve I mean there's a lot to love about this film I think I was possibly more enwrapped with Raquel Welch than you were. Visually striking film for for all kinds of reasons. Number eight is our first snap, The Mummy Shroud. Now we kind of deliberately introduced this one as a bit of a wild card. It's It's not one of Hammer's most celebrated films, but we found a lot to enjoy about it. Number seven, also a snap, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. For all the reasons, or is that reason, that you mentioned, Steve. Number six, Curse of Frankenstein. Now, I've mentioned before that I feel like a brat 
for not appreciating this incredible film more than I do, and I would never ever dispute its importance, not only to Hammer, but to cinema in general. But as I've said before, personally it's just not the first one that I put on when I want to see the Hammer film. Number five, also a snap, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. It's at number five because I think basically what I said last episode was that to me it's a it's an amazing mid-level Dracula hammer horror and a mid-level Dracula hammer horror is a damn good film by anyone's standards and as I say I'm enjoying it more each time I see it. Number four Quatermass and the Pit. Thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this film but in a list of films this good I just couldn't put it any higher than that but it's one that I happily go to again and again. Number three, another snap, Steve, The Mummy. Absolutely superb film in terms of classic Hammer, classic early Hammer horror with Cushing and Lee. It's just a magnificent film. Number two, and a complete reversal to you and I, The Vampire Lovers. Now, we've since found that not many people rate this film particularly highly, but to me, it's right up there for all sorts of reasons, not the obvious ones necessarily, but in terms of the story, both the novella that it's based on and Hammer's film adaptation, I really enjoyed it. just resonates with me in similar ways as it did with Whitney and Daphne. Number one, the undisputed champion. And maybe it always will be, Horror of Dracula. So there we go, Steve. Sometimes we're in sync, sometimes not, but that's exactly as it should be. Well, that's, that's the point of it. It's Everybody has different preferences. And I know there's some Hammer movies that we haven't gone to yet that I'm looking forward to revisiting that are ones that really drew me in the Hammer. And I might have some surprise changes in the top 10 mm. down the road as we hit some of those films. But I'm curious to find out, like I said, listeners, send us feedback, you know, to things I talked about earlier. And let us know what your top 10 order would be. Now, I'm really curious to see. Please do let Steve and I know. We'd be absolutely fascinated to, to see what your lists look like. And I'm really curious when people see The Lodge. Let us know what you think about that. Oh, yes. I'm really, really curious to hear what people think about this movie. Please don't hold it against us if you don't have a good time. <laughs> you don't hold it against Dow at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Steve. You can hold it against me, but don't hold it against Al. <laughs> right, well, we've reached the end of our episode, our festive episode. We felt that it was going to be a challenge to maintain some Christmas cheer, but I think we've done pretty well, Steve. Jeff's feedback, of course, you know, it, it, it can't help but make you both, both of us glow. It's like, oh, we're doing a good job, but Jeff likes us. <laughs> I think Jeff might have saved the episode. His timing was absolutely perfect. As he usually has. Tell, thank all the listeners for listening. Again, send us feedback at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com. And also, I wish everybody has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Absolutely. And I want to wish our listeners a very, very happy Christmas with your, with your family and loved ones. I absolutely love this time of the year. And we are looking forward to talking to you again next year with... Dracula has risen from the grave.
Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast. 